Our passage today is in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 18. Hear now the word of our God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for how you are at work. Even in this very worship service, the song our brother just sang, deals with this very passage, O oh God. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would teach us and you'd give us light and that you would make us different because we have been under thy word this very day. Your word never returns to you void. It always accomplishes that which you send it forth to do. We thank you, Father. We rest in the light-giving power of the Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
the context immediately in front of this particular passage. We talked about the Sunday before last Sunday, and there we saw Jesus healing the son of a nobleman. And here at the beginning of chapter 5, we see another healing take place. And just to give a walk us through the passage just a little, we see here that another feast has occurred in Jerusalem. And Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He was at Capernaum, and now he goes, which Capernaum in Galilee, now he goes down out of Capernaum, south to Jerusalem. One thing also that I want you to keep in mind as we go along here, when I'm, when I'm studying the scriptures, I do what I call observations. And as I studied this passage this week, I found three major observations, and I'll tell you about them as we come to them. But keep in mind there are three major observations that I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to see as we work through this passage. Well, Jesus has gone back to Jerusalem to a feast, and John here directs our attention to a sheep gate. Now, all around the city, there are various gates, and here we see the sheep gate. At this particular sheep gate, there's a pool. It's a pool called Bethesda. There are five porches or colonnades or porticos around this particular pool. When I was in college, some friends of, of mine, we lived uh, one, one year, we lived off campus together in a house and we called it the portico. <laughs> we liked, we liked. Well, this particular pool, as I said, is called Bethesda. And what's interesting about this particular pool is John says there are many, many people there. And not just any kind of person, but some specific types of people are here at this pool. These are disabled people. They're sick. They are lame. They are blind. They are paralyzed. These are weak people. Well, why are they here? Well, in some translations, you'll see that it says an angel goes down to the water at a certain time and stirs up the water, and the first person in is healed. Here in the ESV, they do not include that because in some of the early manuscripts, that's not there. But the question as to why these invalids are here, it still remains. And a little later in the passage, I think it tells us why. Well, John now directs our attention to a particular man near the pool, an invalid, a man with an illness, a man with a major weakness, a man with a condition whereby he is unable to help himself. He is one of the many waiting by the pool of Bethesda. He's had this condition, it says, for 38 years. Can you imagine? I had a great aunt by marriage many years ago when she and my great uncle got married. She was in great health and as time went on, she got a blood disease that she lived with until she died. 
Some people deal with sickness a long, long time. John wants us to feel the weight of the length of this man's sickness. Thirty-eight years. Well, Jesus comes along, comes up to this gentleman. He knows his condition. He understands he's ill. He's weak. He's an invalid. He knows he's been sick a long time, and he asks him a particular question. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to be well? Do you want to be cured? Is this your desire? The man sitting by the pool in one of the porticos there, he's, he's waiting, waiting patiently to go into the water. He tells Jesus that when the water is stirred, notice that in verse 7, when the water is stirred, somebody always steps down in front of me. I don't have anybody to... Put me down there first. Here in verse 7, we see that something indeed happens to the water where these invalids eagerly seek to get into the pool. There does indeed seem to be something special about the pool, which I think refers back to the verse that's left out, but it is at the bottom of your page there. An angel stirring up the water. The man is helpless insofar as he's concerned. He cannot change his circumstances. He can't make himself better. He lies on a cot, waiting, 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 without satisfaction, but waiting. And this points to the first major observation that I want us to see out of our text today, and that's this. Jesus goes where people are desperately in need. Jesus goes where people are desperately in need. As you read through all four of the Gospels, we are given uh, a view, I'll put it that way. We, we are, we're pointed to the, the service of Jesus in the lives of sinful people people. He serves them. He helps them. He gives them things that they so desperately need. There are real physical needs and he does not shy away from those. These people are not too dejected for Jesus to come around. In John's song, he said he touched the lepers, outcasts, Peoples whose flesh was rotting away, he went up to them and touched them. Jesus' question addresses the man's weakness and his helplessness. Jesus inquires about what the man really, really needs. If this man did not have this 38-year-old issue, imagine what his life would have been like. He probably would have lived a normal life. The man is in need, and Jesus puts his finger directly on that issue. Well, Jesus gives three commands to the man in verse 8. Get up, pick up your bed, walk. Just three basic commands. And what happens? Well, he, he gets up, 
picks up his cot, and he walks. A miracle occurs. John has given us a demonstration of yet another miracle. And notice, Jesus speaks to the man's issue by commanding him to be as Jesus commands. The pool does not matter now. It doesn't matter at all. The word of Jesus is what makes all the difference in this man's predicament. Jesus commands and the man obeys. He couldn't walk, and now he can walk. Well, verse 9, I think, gives some more details. The man was instantly healed of his 38-year-old condition. He stands up, picks up the bed that he's lied on for countless days, countless years, and he walks on his way. Jesus performs this miracle. John wants us to know when on the Sabbath. A significant detail. Anybody familiar with the Old Testament or with Jewish Hebrew history knows that the Sabbath is a very, very important day. John's inclusion of this event in the life of Christ, I think it prepares you and me for what is yet to come in John's gospel. I think also back to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. We'll come to that in a minute. Well, this man is up walking around, carrying around his bed, and the Jews see him. And they say, um, it, it, it's not, it, it's the Sabbath. It, it's not lawful for you to be carrying around your bed. I imagine they, they, it'd be like saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you know what the Sabbath stands for? You're not supposed to be doing this. According to their interpretation of God's command regarding the Sabbath, it is against the law, presumably God's law, for this man to carry his bed on the Sabbath. Well, notice this man's response. He says, the man who healed me, he, he commanded me to take my bed and walk with it. The man who healed me, he commanded me and I obeyed. He gave me an instruction, and I, I hope you can hear this. I'm saying this on purpose, this way. He commanded me, and I did what he told me to do. In a sense, he commanded me, and all I could do was exactly what he told me to do. Take up this bed. Walk. Life different. I, I obeyed him obediently. I listened to him obediently. One commentator that I, I was reading thinks that the man cast blame here on Jesus. He doesn't say Jesus' name yet because he didn't know it. But he thinks he's casting blame here for fear of what might happen to him. And, and that may be the case, but the man is telling the truth. I can only do what he told me to do. A miracle happened to me, and I, I obeyed. Well, the Jews, they, they, they pounce on this confession. Who told you to do this? And particularly, who told you to do this on this day? They understand what's going on. Who, who is this who commands others to break our law? And this leads to my second observation that I see here in our text. God's interpretation of reality defines reality. I'm a loud person. I talk loudly. I speak loudly. I preach loudly. And this is something you all, if I could say it as, <laughs> thank you. But if I could say it as loud as I could so that it literally 
penetrated your soul, I would do it. I can't. But hear it again. I'll say it a little soft. God's interpretation of reality is what defines reality. Not what you think, not what I think reality should be, but what the great creator of the universe has already interpreted reality to be. Now, the world lives in opposition to this. Hence, getting ahead of myself, hence Jesus coming into the world. The healing is ignored. Now, these, this, I would call these church people, okay? <laughs> the Jews, church people. They ignore the healing. What, what matters is you're breaking the Sabbath. It holds priority. Why are the Jews persecuting Jesus? John says they're persecuting him. Well, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He's disrupted their way of doing church. I'll put it that way. They're upset. Jesus has disrupted. He's disturbed the religious Jewish business as usual. Jesus sets the standards of what righteous living is all about. That's what he's doing here. And they have a major problem with it. They see that people are listening to him, this man in particular. He changes how people understand reality. Well, Jesus reports to the Jews that his father is working on the Sabbath. <laughs> and so is Jesus. Now they get even angrier. What do you mean your father? This leads to the third major observation that I see here in our text today, and it's just three words. Jesus is God. Make no mistakes about it. John wants you to know Jesus is God. Jesus is God according to this passage of John 5. The same one who spoke creation into being. I don't want you to miss this. Commanded this very man to take up his bed and walk. Do you see that's the implication? In John chapter 1, it begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And nothing that was created was, with, apart from him was basic. Everything was created through him. The same one who commanded the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments to Moses, and first wrote them, is the same one commanding this man to take up your bed and walk. The very same God. In the beginning was the Word. Here the Word is speaking. The same God who rested on the seventh day and made it holy. Here, John says, he works. He's still at work. Doing what? Bringing about deliverance for rebellious men and women, boys and girls. Jesus teaches here that God the Father and God the Son work 
for the purpose of making things right in the world according to God's design. In theology, we have, uh, uh, we look at all of history in, in, uh, with four words, uh, four words. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation, glory. Jesus comes into the world for the purpose of redemption. He's recreating reality. To be in accordance with God's will. He's saving, delivering, rescuing people who disobey his word. People like you and me. Notice also that Jesus found the man in the temp, uh, found the man a little later and he, he spoke to him about his life. <laughs> I think what's significant here is that your life matters to God. He told him, don't, don't sin anymore, lest something worse happen to you. Now, can you imagine? Your life matters to God. This is why Jesus comes into the world. Jesus does indeed reveal to these Jews that God is his father and that he himself is also God. They clearly understand the implications of what Christ is saying in a certain way, in the sense of they understand that he says he and the father are equal and they want to kill him because of it. He's blaspheming according to them. The sad part of this particular interaction is that these Jews did not know that all Jesus said to them was true. And he came for them. They did not believe in Jesus or the works that he did as coming from God. Recall John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, talking about Christ. And the world was made or created through him, yet the world did not know him. John presses us a little further and he says, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John 5, 1 through 18 is an example of Jesus being rejected by some of his people. And drawing our, our, our time to a close, I want you to hear these three things. God the Son became a man so that all who receive him, all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. The word became flesh. The word, second person of the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son became a human being so that lawbreakers might have forgiveness from God and everlasting life with God. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures tell us the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord lives forever. The word of God lasts forever. Our Lord is at work even now, even now as he is seated by the Father in heaven, Jesus is at work through the Holy Spirit, through the church. Are we going 
to where people are desperately in need. As we go to and fro throughout our everyday, every, uh, the normal day-to-day living, are we aware of the people around us who are desperately in need? And I don't want you to hear this as, well, don't, don't, preacher, don't, don't stand up and tell us all we're supposed to be doing is, you know, meeting people's needs and not telling them the gospel. No, I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. Sometimes they will not understand your gospel until you meet their needs. Sometimes we have to get our hands dirty in the sense of, I don't mean be immoral. I mean, touching lepers. Seeing people desperately in need. We've got to have confidence that God interprets reality. And that we want to live in conformity to God's understanding of reality. That's going to create problems. That's creating problems right now all over the world. The Bible teaches us that Jesus became one of us to save rebels like you and me from eternal condemnation. May we go out into God's world. Hear this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that it contains. Go out into God's world and shine the light of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess to you that we are not faithful as we ought. We don't bring our cares and our concerns to you as we ought. We do not depend upon your word faithfully as we ought. We ask your forgiveness and we thank you that you have blessed us with the only Savior there is. And we pray, O Lord, that you would use us this very day, this very week, in demonstrating and and teaching People all around us, Jesus is good news. Jesus is the best news. Oh God, teach us to be faithful. This world of darkness needs to see the light of Christ. Commend this time to you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.